I loved, as we get into the Word this morning, we're going to be in Daniel 5. I love uh, one of the lines in the song that was sung today. It says, a miracle can happen now because the Spirit of the Lord is here. And that really, I mean, do we really truly believe that? First off, because I think a lot of uh, miracles could happen if we believe that more. We prayed more. But I think that's really true, and that works really well into the, the scripture we're going to be in, Daniel 5, because the presence of the Lord is there, and a miracle does happen, and we'll get into that. But uh, as we're in Daniel 5, and if you've ever heard of somebody say the, the handwriting is on the wall, you heard that statement? Do you react to me, heads up and down? There you go. Um, you know, or his days are numbered. Well, they're quoting Daniel 5. That's where the, the term comes from. And I'm going to give you a little history uh, this morning because it's really important to the story. But Daniel 5 is also fulfilled in the book of Revelation. Read Revelation 16 through 18 if you have some time this week, where Babylon is under the rule of the Antichrist and is completely destroyed by the coming King Jesus Christ. As the stone of, of Daniel in chapter 2, as we talked about that, and the stones coming from the mountains and pulverizes the statue that we already talked about, you know, representing the kingdoms. But let's get into the word this morning. It says in the first verse, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for the thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now, don't confuse Belshazzar with Belteshazzar, okay? Uh, sounds close, but they're two different names. Belteshazzar is the name that was given to Daniel when he moved to the Persian Empire. And I <laughs> moved when he was uh, taken to the Persian Empire. Um, you know, but uh, Belshazzar is a ruler who is ruling over Babylon at this point. And it's the fall of 539 B.C. And some scholars have ever uh, even, uh, you know, brought it, narrowed it down to October 12th. 539 B.C. Because of history outside of the Bible correlates to what the passage that we're talking about here today. So this is one of those chapters in the Bible we possibly know the exact date that it happens, which is really cool. And you might remember at the beginning with Daniel, it was 605 B.C. And we're going backwards, okay? Uh, B.C. will always go backwards. But So 66 years have gone by since these teenage boys were taken from Jerusalem. And by chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for many years. He passed away in 562 B.C. And before he passed away, he humbled himself before the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar dies as a fellow worshiper of the God that we serve. How cool is that? We get to meet Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's wild, you know. So after Nebuchadnezzar's death, he was succeeded on the throne by Amal Marduk. He was a son that ruled for two years. And then he was killed by his brother-in-law, uh, Nerogliser. Now, I'm going to slaughter these names. You figure out how to read them later, okay? But uh, Nerogliser was the, was the general who fought in Nebuchadnezzar's army and had actually been in Jerusalem from the very beginning. And Nerogliser ruled for 44 years, and then he died. And he passed it on to his son, Labishi Marduk. And Labishi Marduk ruled for a few months, and then he's assassinated, okay? Great history, isn't it? No turmoil going on. You know, we think our country is crazy when it comes to politics. But this country, I mean, wow. 
And Nabunidus takes over and marries a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, who kind of legitimizes his rule, you know. He reigns for 17 years, has a bunch of kids, and he is a ruler of the kingdom. Well, wait a second. The first verse said Belshazzar was ruling. Well, they both were. Okay? He is Nebunidus' son, and they're ruling the land together. And Nebunidus is, you know, worships the moon god, ironically called Sin. <laughs> Get that one. And the moon god was worshipped in Haran, which is, you know, around up north in the part of the country where Abraham was from. So he moves his government all the way up to Haran where he can worship his god and peace and leaves all the headache to Belshazzar in charge down south. So now, you know, now Belshazzar worships the god, uh, god Marduk. So he's less likely to get, you know, assassinated because most of the people who worshipped, they worshipped the god Marduk in the country, okay? So it's almost like an extremist Muslim would, would kill somebody for being an infidel. It's kind of the same concept. So he worshipped the main god, okay? When I say god, I'm not talking about real god, okay? We, we've established that. There's only one true god. But later in the story, he actually offers Daniel the third position in government, that's because dad's in charge, sort of. He's up there just having party time, having a good time. Left son to be really in charge. So then he offers Daniel the third position because he's really second in command, okay? So Daniel at this point is at least 80 years old at this time. And we still think of him as a kid, don't we? He's not. He's grown up. He's older. I didn't say old. Older, you know. And in Daniel 6... We're going to talk about next week. He's in his mid-80s when he's thrown into the lion's den. And it cracks me up, and we'll talk about that next week. It cracks me up, some of the stories and how we teach that to the children and all that. And, and you know, show him in the lion's den. He's really young and all that. No, he's like 85 years old at that point. But Daniel's now living in semi-retirement. And he would, have been, you know, he would have been experiencing the, the Persians slowly taking over the king, and the Medes and Persians have joined together, and they're moving the, you know, the conquer Babylon so they can take over everything in the known world pretty much at the time. Now, the Persians are really close now, possibly even camped right outside of the city at this point. But Belshazzar knows uh, that they're there, but he knows that Babylon has never been conquered to this point so he may be afraid he may not be afraid this is like uh, you know Muhammad Ali when he's never been conquered or or you know some of those old uh, you know boxers or even you know modern day Mike Tyson you know just just you know you he's not afraid it's kind of the same kind of concept here some of the walls were 30 stories high as we talked about now, every wall that was this high had a canyon next to it that dipped down. So the walls kept going down, and the walls were so thick that they would have chariot races up on top, uh, on top, and we talked about that kind of stuff. And the Euphrates River runs right through the city. So here's a picture of it, okay? So the, the river is where all the water went, of course. I mean, that's what a river is, right? 
But that's where they got all their fresh water. That's, that's what saved them from so many different things that would happen. Um, and we'll point out, uh, in fact, uh, the round area that you see, that's modern day when Saddam Hussein was in charge. That was his palace, okay? On the right was the old ruins of uh, the Persian Empire. And then right below the round thing is where the Americans had their military base after they took over. And there's a ziggurat down in the south. There was all sorts of worship centers around this area. So this is a modern day picture of what it looks like. But the, the river running through it is, you, you know, it goes through the, underneath the gates of the city. So you have this fresh water. They had stored up 20 years worth of food and wine. So you can understand why Belshazzar wasn't afraid that this army is camped right outside, right? He can last for 20 years. There's no way they're getting through. Nothing can hurt us. So what does he do? Like any good ruler, he throws a party. Everybody, don't worry. Just come on in. Persians, Persians, Persians. Who cares about the Persians? Drink some wine. Don't worry about it. Now, in 1899, they evacuated, uh, or evacuated, um, excavated the palace. And this is some of the palace area. Uh, you see the throne room. You see that huge room right in front of the throne room. That's probably where this event took place. We are not for sure. But, you know, he had a lot of people coming over to party with him. You know, uh, they, you know they found this ballroom. It's the size of a large gym. And it had gypsum walls on it, like drywall with a, with a paper coating that we use today, okay? So let's get to verse 2. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. You understand, this is the holy place, the temple of God. It wasn't just Jerusalem, from the temple. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver or bronze and iron and wood and stone and anything else that they could think of at that point. So what's going on here? Well, first of all, as you read this, you want to know that mixed gender get-togethers was not acceptable in the empire. So first off, it's way out of control. According to their own moral standards, you don't throw a party where both men and women were there, especially when you were serving alcohol. So Daniel's telling us right off the bat that both, you know, having both presents, this is an immoral thing that were going on in the party. And the party evolves from immorality to blasphemy. He brought home some souvenirs, Nebuchadnezzar did. And they brought him into this party. Now we do the same things, right? We conquer a nation, you bring home some souvenirs. You know, we go on vacation, we bring home snow globes, you know. We bring home, I sacked Jerusalem and all I got was this lousy t-shirt, you know, stuff like that. The point is, you would go and, and as nations conquer other nations, they would take valuable things to show your power. So they brought home things from the temple. As if to say, not only did I conquer Jerusalem, but my God is more powerful from their God, uh, than their God. Look. Look at what I can do. 
Every great country has done this. You go to the British Museum, you will see artifacts from all over the world, most of it what we would say today, especially in a woke society, stolen, but really you're conquering a nation, and that's what nations do. So these items are on display, and since, you know, since we know that he, he converted before dying, these were most likely back in a storeroom. Or were they in a prominent place? We don't really know. But Nebuchadnezzar is now dead, and his grandson, by marriage, is now making a statement by getting them out and bringing them to the party, tossing them around. It's like, uh, uh, what's his name on the boat, throwing the trophy? Any, any football player, any football fans here, you know what I'm talking about, you know. They're falling out of the hands, getting banged up. A toast to this God, a toast to that God. They're having a great time. Now, these items from the temple were items that were blessed to be in the temple, according to the book of Leviticus. And they were set apart. They were holy. That's what the word holy means. It's hubus. It's the same word in the New Testament for word saint that's used in describing who? You and I were set apart to be holy. So Belshazzar takes these holy items, fills them with wine, and starts toasting other gods. And in his drunkenness, this is called sin, you really don't think about what you're doing when you're, you know, when you got alcohol in your system. The story is not necessarily about alcohol, but it does relate to any part of, of the wisdom that we have. Uh, alcohol diminishes that wisdom, right? Some of you understand that exactly. Some of you go, well, I've stayed away from it. Praise the Lord. You know, if, if I drink diet, I mean, if I drink alcohol like I drink Diet Coke, I'd be a, you know, a slosh all the time. You know, I'd be a drunk. I just don't have that taste for alcohol, you know, and praise the Lord. But Belshazzar seems to be saying, I'm not scared of the God in Jerusalem. Okay, it was worth a try. He's basically saying, I'm not scared of anyone, not even the Persians that are right outside the door. I'm not scared of the God who, who, who made Nebuchadnezzar eat grass. I'm not scared of anyone. I'm smarter and I'm stronger than Nebuchadnezzar. And in his arrogance, he's setting himself up to be judged by God. And we go, whoo, I'm glad he doesn't do this anymore. Because I know people that have benefited from this attitude. I see people defy God all the time and not be judged. But when we inaccurately assume that God has stopped judging people. See, we have to be very careful because the Bible says not to judge each other. And we've talked about this before. When the Bible says not to judge each other, not to judge each other to hell. I don't decide who goes to heaven. I don't decide who goes to hell. That's God's job. But God does tell us to judge the actions of each other to see whether they're godly or not. So don't get me wrong. We don't be accusatory and stuff. We gently, gently go to a brother and say, what you're doing is wrong. Now, I know some people go out there and scream at each other, but that's a whole other story. But Jesus is very clear that he didn't come to judge, but people will be judged later because he says so. But for Belshazzar, they're partying on with this very loud party, and they think the Persians, you know, uh, they, they think the Persians can't come, but they're sneaking up. 
I don't think Belshazzar knew about the prophecies in the Jerusalem, you know, scrolls where, you know, that we talked about in the book of Daniel earlier. Uh, he would have told him if he would have talked to Daniel himself about Isaiah 44 and 45. And Jeremiah chapter 27, which actu uh, accurately predicts Belshazzar's downfall at the hands of the Persians. We won't go there, but I'll paraphrase real quick. It says, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar will fall to Cyrus the Persian, and that is Belshazzar. Now, we talked about Cyrus. This was 100 year, 150 years before Cyrus was born that these were written in Isaiah and Jeremiah, okay? So as I sat with this, this story this week, it turned for me one day. I allowed Belshazzar to become a type of Satan in my mind. Now, Satan is not a concept. He's an individual. But I allowed Belshazzar and his generals to think, and to kind of think of them as Satan and as fallen angels who would sit around and use the things of God to blasphemy God. The devil gets a kick when he uses us for ungodly purposes. People do this a lot. They defy God and the very existence of God. And here Belshazzar is lifting these holy vessels to God and saying, I've filled them with alcohol. I've filled them with this party. I've filled them with all this decadence. Look at what I have done. This is what Satan does when he corrupts us as Christians. Just look at the book of Jeremiah or the book of Romans or, or what happened in, in uh, Corinth and First uh, and Second Corinthians. You go study the cities in Second Timothy. We are called holy vessels of God, yet we allow ourselves to be corrupted. How sad is that? So I sat with that this week and, and imagine how much joy the devil gets for taking a person who's been set apart by God cleansed from their sin, baptized, has the Holy Spirit within them, and then the devil corrupts them. And the devil lifts us up to a toast and defiance of God. Hmm. The Lord is saying, don't ever allow the devil to use you to defy me. Don't ever allow the enemy the opportunity to laugh in my face, but instead keep yourself holy. That's what the scriptures say. Keep yourself pure. We're not just vessels sitting on a shelf with no control where we go, well, I, I couldn't do anything about that. No, you're allowing the devil to use you that way. This vessel didn't have legs. We have legs. This vessel didn't have a mind. We have our minds, right? We can resist the devil when we have the Holy Spirit on our side. We need to be saying, you're not going to use me in this fashion. You're not going to use my words. You're not going to use my thoughts. You're not going to use my passions. You're not going to use my time, my mouth, my relationship, not what goes into my mouth. You're not going to use these things in a blasphemous way. So I have to constantly be on fire for God. I have to constantly connect with God. Show me the ways of the Lord so the devil can't do this to me again. That's what we need to be saying. That's what we need to be praying. I have to purpose in my heart the things of God. As we talked about how Daniel purposed in his heart through his whole life. But most of the time, we're so busy judging other people's actions that we miss our own sinful actions. 
Now, to take the illustration one step further, what if Belshazzar takes the cup and fills it up and puts it into our hands? Now, we're a part of leading somebody down the wrong path. You have groups of people that look at you. You have friends. Are you going to be godly or ungodly when you're around them? When you lead in the wrong direction? Or am I in charge of something, and yet I call myself a Christian, yet I break all the rules one after another? And the company knows I do that. This is where the devil goes, I got him. I got him. Outwardly, outwardly, they look like a holy cup, but now I'm using them in such a way that God has, you know, that God is, is hurt now. This is, what he's do- this is what the devil did in the, in the Garden of Eden. This is what he did to Adam and Eve. And it's what he continues to do. Verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of, the ha- of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. That had to be a sight to see, right? Man. Thinking, okay, am I, have I drank enough that I'm just imagining this? Or, you know. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. And the translation here is a little coy by what it means. What it means is really lost. Uh, Basically, he needed to go change, okay? Verse 7, the king called out. In Aramaic, he, he screams like a little girl. That's what it means, okay? He called out, he screamed for the enchanters, astrologers, diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, in other words, royal clothes, and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Verse 8, then all the wise men came, uh, men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. It's kind of funny, this kind of keeps happening, doesn't it? Of course they don't know what it says, because they're not very wise. Verse 9, so King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. pale. His nobles were were baffled. Remember, they're all drunk. This had to be comical. You know, this had to be funny in a certain sense. The queen, and really it's the queen mother, okay? You find out this later in history, but the queen mother, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall, O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. In other words, she's saying, look, you need to act like you're supposed to be acting. You're the king. This man, uh, she goes on and, and says, this is a man in your kingdom who has, a, there is a man in the kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom called Belteshazzar, was found to have keen mind and knowledge and uh, and understanding, and also the ability to interrupt dreams, explain riddles, and some difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he he will tell you what the writings mean. This woman is either Nebuchadnezzar's daughter or Nebuchadnezzar's wife. We're really not quite sure. Older men married very young women back then, um, so it's possible that this was his wife. 
but she had great respect for Daniel. She was around when Daniel was there. She remembered Daniel's name, Judgment of God, okay? So what is great about this is Daniel is over 80 years old at this point, but God is not done using him. And I think this is very important for us to understand. He didn't suffer a 20-year retirement where he probably thought, I'm finished with all the stuff that God's going to do. No, God's never done with us. I can remember my 88-year-old grandfather being excited because he got a new set of, uh, of uh, you know, theological books in because he was going to start a new Sunday school class, and he bought some new books. He was all excited about that. That's how I want to be when I'm 88 years old. And you're probably going to be saying, get off the pulpit at that point, you know, but Belshazzar has never heard of him. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the Spirit of God is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read the writing on the wall and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you will be able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, this is funny to me because Daniel has been sitting on the sideline for 20 years. Sometimes God benches talented people and waits on the right time to put them back in the game. He does this with Abraham, 100 years old. Or how about Joseph? 13 years in prison. To you and I, that would seem like a waste, wouldn't it? Moses, you know, 40 years as an Egyptian, 40 years as a shepherd. He's 80 years old, and he's like, now you want to use me, God? <laughs> and 20-plus years for Daniel. He's been sitting on the sideline. So I'm thinking, well, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian. I'm not an Old Testament you know, this is Old Testament stuff. And God goes, okay, what about John the Baptist? What about the Apostle Paul? After his conversion, he preaches. But there are all these years in the wilderness with the Apostle Paul that we don't know about. God put him on the sideline. As a preacher of the word, I know that sometimes God benches people who serve him, and I don't know why. Sometimes I do, because you, it's obvious, their behavior. They did something that was wrong. I understand that. I get that. This is discipline. But what I don't understand is when he goes, I don't need that tool right now. Let me put that back in the drawer. You're like, but that's a good shiny tool. That's a great tool. And God goes, I'm putting that one in the drawer. And we're like, well, it's a waste of that tool to just sit there. But God knows why he does it. And I have to trust him. So I can't fully explain the why on this, but I will tell you this. If you feel like you're, you're put in the toolbox and forgotten, God never forgets. He never forgets. He will pull that tool out at the right time, at the right place. I have certain tools that sit in the toolbox for 16 years that I've never used until the right time comes along and I pull that tool out and I go, ah, I know where that one is. As long as I haven't thrown it into a pile somewhere, you know, but... You may be working a, uh, another job, you may be retired, you may be on, you know, Social Security may say you're retired, but guess what? God doesn't retire people like that. 
God just puts him on the bench and then pulls him out when he's ready. Verse 17, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing uh, for the king and tell him what it means. He's like, I don't need any more stuff. And he goes on, and I'm not going to read these because we're running out of time. But basically, he goes through it, and, and uh, you know, he, he basically goes through the history of how God and what God has done. And then, uh, you know, he even talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the whole thing of uh, eating like grass and all that. And he's going, or Belshazzar, you're an idiot. You knew this history. And this is the key point. You didn't learn anything from grandpa's experience. You sat there and watched that in the kingdom, but you didn't learn. Now, he doesn't blame Nebuchadnezzar because the grandson didn't learn grandpa's lessons. But it goes on and says in verse 23, Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and, your, and all your ways. Number one, you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Number two, you have exalted yourself. Number three, you have praised other gods. And number four, you haven't praised the God who holds the breath that you have in his hand. I want to encourage you, never let these four things be said about you. Don't ever let these things be said about you. Verse 24, therefore he sent the hand to write on the wall the inscription. And the inscription reads that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parzin. Now, when you write in Aramaic, you only write in consonants, and it's from right to left. Now, depending on what vowel you put in, uh, can change the meaning a little bit. And here's an example. If you put in one set of vowels that are all nouns, you'll get measure of money. But if you put in another set of vowels, uh, that kind of read as a passive voice, which means number, number, weighted divisions, and plural. So it's kind of weird, but Daniel, um, through his wisdom, knows which, what the Lord's trying to say. And he goes on in verse 26, and he says, this is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. God already knows when you're done. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Perez, or uh, Parism, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persian. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, gold chains, and placed around his neck and proclaimed the third highest rule in the kingdom for at least four hours. We'll talk about that next week. Well, we'll get to it. He's defeated and all that pretty quick here, but... That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, next week, we'll talk about Darius the Mede. But I want to tell you, uh, he worked for Cyrus the Great, okay? So how did this happen? Did they storm the walls? Did they go over them? Did they go through them? Did they scale the walls? I mean, how did it happen? <laughs> Here's a, a view of what it looked like. 
They went through the river. They diverted the water from the river. Imagine how much work that took. And they went under the gates that were down in the river and invaded the kingdom. We know this because it's written, you know, written about within about 100 years. The city leaders are all drunk, and they killed most of them at this point. I'm sure Daniel was like, get this robe off of me. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not third in the kingdom. No, not me. You know, stuffing inside a garbage can or something. So here's where the Lord took me this week. Each one of us has handwriting on the wall from God in the party of life. Number, number, weighted, divided. This is for everyone. And either you have Christ, which makes you weigh just right, or you don't, and you're given over. And the writing is up there for everyone. You can't walk away and say, hey, is that your writing? No, we're all there. God has weighed every one of us. Some of us weigh just right. Some of us are believers. Through Christ, we will be in heaven. And some of us, he's sitting there going, you're kind of wanting right now. He either says the Lord has numbered your kingdom and it's over, or it could say that God has numbered your kingdom and Christ has finished it. I mean, are you getting my understanding of what I, where I went this week? God has numbered our kingdoms, and Christ has come to finish it for us. We're no longer depending on ourselves. We are numbered in Christ's kingdom now. So when the condemnation comes, Christ steps in and says, oh, oh, oh hold on, theirs is already paid for. Their judgment is they're clean. And God looks at us and says, hey there, there's a clean wall over there. Go stand over there next to those words. And we say, what words? And he's over there going, Christ on the wall. Now, that's just my interpretation of it, okay? I mean, that's not biblical written down, okay? But that is, that is mene. What is tekel? You have, been you have been weighed and found wanting, so either you are a lightweight when it comes to God, yes, you know, yes but, but Christ is with me on the scale. And all of a sudden, I'm not such a lightweight. I weigh just right because you were in Christ. I'm no longer measured by my own works in this life. I don't have to do all this great stuff to try to get to heaven, try to tip the scales, so I depend on Christ to, skip the tail, uh, to, to tip the scale for me. Okay, Perez, or uh, Perizin, kingdom divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You know, Christ, I mean, uh, God can divide our kingdom. You know who he gives it to? Christ. Our kingdom is in Christ now. So are we ready to face them? Because that's what he was saying. It's going to be split up, and you're going to go before those kings. Are you ready to face them? The handwriting on the wall is the point. But we say, well, I'm not Belshazzar, I'm Daniel. Then we go into Daniel chapter 6, alive, and it takes us right into the Revelation where, where books are opened, and the name is written in what? The book of life. See, when we become Christians, God notes it in the book of life, writes it down, and it cannot be blotted out. Cannot be blotted out. So the question is this. 
Are you written there or not? That is a yes or no question. You don't get to be like going before Congress and testifying, and they ask you a question, and you don't answer yes or no. You just blah, 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 blah. You keep talking, and they keep talking, and nothing ever gets done, and nothing ever gets heard. This is a yes or no question before God. Somebody say, well, wait, we're not supposed to judge. Well, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. That's God. When you've heard the word, you have a responsibility. Did you know that? You have a responsibility. Satan is at the gate, ready to attack. The water level is going down, and you must choose. That's what happens when the word of God goes out. I'm responsible for you in certain ways, but you're responsible on whether you accept Christ or not. Are my works going to be Christ's works? Are my desires going to be the desires that Christ have? Are my ways going to be the ways of Christ? Because this is not a game, folks. This is not a game. God doesn't force us to go to heaven. 2 Corinthians, or no, Colossians 2.13 says, when you are dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us of all our sins, having canceled the written code, in other words, the handwriting on the wall, with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. When we understand this, it completely changes our focus from trying to to face God and trying to earn things. When we stand before God and we're like, I I try to do my, my best to being in Christ and through Christ. So that when the Persians attack our city, when Satan attacks us, we're gonna be okay. So I have the, you know, to wrap this up at the end, I have a question for you. Who are you in the story? Are you Nebuchadnezzar that we talked about last week and continue to, to defy God until you learn things the hard way? Okay, we talked about how God forced him out and he ate grass like the cattle, you know? And then you finally exalt the Most High God. Good ending. Are you the great-grandson or the grandson, Belshazzar, who knows the story, who watched that happen and you decide not to bend the knee and you take a chance, and you're toasting to the gods of gold and silver. Or are you Daniel at a young age, or an older age, never too late, to say, I'm going to recognize and serve the one true God? Way into my golden years. This is where we're going to start out next week, the golden years. We see Daniel starting in his third administration, over 80 years old, still doing God's work. But today is, which one are you? Discuss that at lunch. Think about it this week. Pray about it. Lose some sleep over it until you figure out which one you are. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up and leads us out. Lord, we thank you for stories like this in the Word to understand that people can defy you 
yet you're there always watching. You understand, you know. You're giving him a chance and he doesn't take it. Lord, I pray that we take the chances that you give us. Pray that we take the chance on being your child, your son, your daughter, that one day we will be with you in heaven. But until that time comes, we pray that we are used and we are serving you. When you put us on the bench, we, we, we do it gracefully. When you pull us off the bench, we're ready for the game. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you worship him all this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.